I am excited about doing this episode. Yeah, you know, Catholic versus Protestants mm -hmm. with crowns and yep. the Scots. It sounds really, really... It's going to be good. In my wheelhouse, kind of. What? Eric, mm. you look confused. Well, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know what exactly you're talking about, but I had a hard time getting into all this, you know, and I, I really tried. Like, I tried to... I tried to to find it and 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 you know I don't normally eat breakfast cereal but I I tried what and I don't know how many places I like I went to Trader Joe's I went to Whole Foods because I figured it didn't sound like a main brand it's not like Wheaties or anything uh didn't find it there went to Safeway even looked on like the Amazon pantry or whatever the hell it's called what are you talking about thank you Sarah I was gonna say the same thing what the hell are you talking about Jacobites oh. can't find them anywhere. Eric. Don't even know why the hell you want to do an entire episode on some obscure-ass breakfast cereal. Eric, Eric, Jacobites are not a breakfast cereal. It's a group of people. They were supporters of, of King James and his, and his right to the throne. Oh, those Jacobites. Yeah. I hate you. I kind of hate myself. Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. And I promise to only do one Scottish accent the entire episode. Oh, that's a bold-faced lie and you know it, sir. State your name for the record. <laughs> My name is Eric Brickmont. You've heard it. And I do really bad, really bad Scottish accents. Yeah, you Don't do. Don't we all? Well, I figure Sean Connery will be able to play one of the characters in this. So uh, I can maybe. <laughs> possibly. Chime in with that. Though apparently, according to College Humor, it's like one of the seven impressions that every college movie nerd does it at a party yes well absolutely. you know what time sean connery goes to wimbledon don't you yes it's around tennish around tennish that's right yeah i feel like it's it's like sean connery and christopher walken and samuel L. jackson and woody allen and, and woody allen and all the other ones that yeah, sean does pretty much <laughs> yeah, except, except i and sarah is always the voice of honesty i think ours are a little bit better than the common movie nerds sometimes yeah so i think my sean connery is pretty damn good yeah so. yeah so. And Sean Sam Samuel L. Jackson is literally the best I've ever heard. Yeah. But, it is really good. But there are a lot of mediocre walk-ins out there. Yes, there are. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> but we're not talking about the history of bad impressions. We are here to talk about the Jacobites. The Jacobites. Which, so you're probably wondering, who, there was never a King Jacob. What the hell are you talking about? They're called the Jacobites because of the, the word Jacobus. Jacobus is the Latin word for James. Yeah, it's the uh, the Renaissance Latin when you say Jacobus specifically. Yes. So um, I like Jacobus. Jacobites better. That's better. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Jacobus um, would be how they would say it in in Latin in the traditional Latin. Word. Yeah, and, and actually, and because if you look at um, Irish and Scots Gaelic, um, James the the Gaelic version of James is Seamus. Right. So when you look at the the Gaelic derivatives of Jacobites, the root there is actually Seamus. Yeah. So really interesting. You, really, James is kind of a telephoning of or mm -hmm. a combination of the Latin and the Gaelic. Yeah. Words. So, words on words. Yep. So really, L kind of, lilac, if you will. 
okay then. Um, and I really wanted to talk about this topic because I love the TV show Outlander. Um, I'm not going to lie. We've talked about it on Nerds on Film, so yeah. Yeah, it's a really good show and um, totally cheese balls, and I like it. And it's actually set before the uh, 45 Rebellion, actually. So As are numerous flashbacks in the uh, TV series The Highlander. Mm-hmm. Uh, and an entire, uh, I think it was like a five or six part Doctor Who series with the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton, Mm -hmm. uh, also named The Highlander. Yeah. Coincidence? Uh, Well, it's not really. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What else are you going to call it? Um, But essentially, uh, 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 it's in television. That's that's the only point I wanted to make. Thank you. Okay, great. So anyway. Continue, please. It's it's still a really interesting point of history because it really highlights, yes, as Brian was saying earlier, the kind of the differences between um, and the contention between Protestants and Catholics that were that was still going on at this time. Um, But it also kind of highlights a really interesting shift in monarchies and kind of like this this fighting for power of the throne. And it's just... Well, it's actually a a huge shift in in British politics in general. Yeah. And then what ends up leading to is a huge shift in Scottish culture specifically. um, Or the the eradication of such, really. Yeah, but that's jumping ahead. Spoilers. (laughs) Hey, you guys jumped all over my last episode. I'm just saying. That's true. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so the Jacobites were the supporters of King James VII of Scotland and the Second of England and Ireland. Call him the Seventh and Second. Yes. Um, and he was, he ruled Britain from 1685 to 1689, um, but because uh, he was Roman Catholic, he was actually replaced by his own daughter, Mary, and her husband, um, the Dutch Prince William of Orange. Right, which... Um, is the first time Parliament has, and actually really the only time that Parliament has ever deposed a king. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you could count Charles I, but he was technically the king when they ex- when they uh, executed him. So Yeah. Um, and in 1689, the, Jac- the Jacobites were specifically opposed by the Williamites or the Whigs. So you'll kind of see a lot mm-hmm. of it as a difference between the Whigs and the Tories. Um, the Whigs were much more um, Protestant and supported the Protestant cause, and they didn't tolerate Catholicism or a Catholic kingdom, whereas the Tories were a little bit more religiously tolerant. Um, But to kind of take it back, because I feel like you can't really dive straight into James without knowing his two predecessors, and that would be um, his father, Charles I, Mm -hmm. and his brother, Charles II. Right. Um, or Child's Play 1, Child's Play 2. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Shucky. Yep. Um. Um, anyway, so, um. Big deal with Charles I. Yeah, with Charles I, he was basically a guy who, he full out believed in the divine right of kings. And this was something that absolutely followed in that family line. The Stuarts believed in the divine right of kings, which right. is why much later when you had the the Bonnie Prince Charlie, um, who was pushing to get back to the throne, he believed it was his God-given right, right. to be there. And Charles I, I mean, he he was not a fan of parliament. In fact, he, dis- he tried to dissolve parliament, didn't he? Yes, absolutely he did. Um, in fact, I think he actually did dissolve it. Um, ruled absolutely. Yeah, he he the mar the mm. um he was he completely dissolved it. He um refused to accept any uh demands for a constitutional monarchy even after he was captured. Um so to kind of take it back a little bit. Um he was um loving taxes without parliamentary consent, which was already, you know, kind of angering the the commonwealth. I think they kind of broke the Magna Carta if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. Is and that why all current members of parliament uh, cannot be water soluble? Anyway, um, and uh, his religious policies and the fact that he was actually married to a Roman Catholic um, basically really angered Puritans and Calvinists and a lot of Protestants um, who thought he was too Catholic. And he really he also didn't help any Protestant force, forces during the Thirty Years War. For all you 30s year four fans, there's your one shout out on this. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so he uh, so he basically kind of you know, fought off the armies of the English and the Scottish par Scottish parliaments in 1642 when they rose up against him. And he surrendered to a Scottish force that eventually handed him over to English par parliament. He, and it's a little thing we call the English Civil War. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it was a big deal. Um, he temporarily escaped captivity but was re-imprisoned. Um, and he forged an alliance with Scotland, but he was tried, convicted, and executed for high treason in 1649. Yeah, he also tried to raise a force from Ireland as well to yeah. take back the, the crown, essentially. But he had to make certain concessions with the Catholic Church who had power in Ireland, and he didn't want to do that. So. Right, right. He tried to be as religiously even killed as possible, mm -hmm. um, but I think there were a lot of Protestants who kind of mistook his... Um, lack of full support for them as being full support for the Catholics. Yeah. So um, after he after he was executed, the monarchy was completely abolished and a republic called the Commonwealth of England was actually declared at right. that point. Then... That's Oliver Cromwell as the Lord Protector, basically. Yes. The first, the only non-royal to rule England, essentially. Yeah, yeah. He basically had kind of a, a de facto republic. Um, but... At that point, the Parliament of Scotland had actually procla proclaimed Charles II as king in 1649. And when Charles eventually became king of both England and Scotland, they changed all the paperwork in England to say it was 1649 mm. when it was actually 1650. Right. <laughs> at and that we call this little piece in time the Restoration. Yeah. So. Yes. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> just, just because we're talking about the Jacobites, and we don't want to, you know. Oh, for sure. We yeah, wanna, yeah. don't want to get things jumbled up. So no, it's absolutely. also the creation of whiteout. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is it dry yet? <laughs> yeah. So um, Cromwell defeated Charles II um, in 1651, and Charles had actually fled to mainland Europe, and he kind of was hiding out in France with his cousins. Um, it was God, a good place to get away from the British at that time. Yeah, and also keep in mind that the the French king at that time they they were all super Catholic. Yeah. Oh yeah. So well, Charles the Second was Anglican, but his, yes. because his mom was Catholic, you know the influence and the sympathies. Yeah. He had secret Catholic sympathies the entire time he was king. Oh no, absolutely. Um, and then Cromwell was basically a dictator in England, Scotland, and Ireland. And um, Charles spent the next nine years in exile in France. Um, and then there was a political crisis, a political crisis that that basically followed the death of Cromwell in 1658, which resulted in the restoration. Um, and Charles was invited kindly to return <laughs> back to Britain and rule again. And uh, I'm sorry, it was not 1650, 1660, his 30th birthday. He was received in London and all legal documents were dated as if he succeeded his father in 1649. Yeah, the only thing I did for my thirtieth birthday was go out to brunch. Uh, not not as fun as you know, being, being restored as, as king. king. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, I never was deposed, so I guess I'm yeah. I'm okay. I and mean, did you get like at least a birthday crown? Yeah. No, no, but did I had lovely you, eggs. And did I you think... get bottomless mimosas at least? 
Nah. God, that was the worst 30th birthday ever. It was brunch. Who has bottomless mimosas at brunch? Everybody. That's when you drink mimosas really? that yeah. are bottomless. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yes. Yeah. I don't really drink that much. Okay. Oh, Clearly. Well. Um, I do. I think it's worth noting that the English people loved Charles II. Yes. I mean, he had the nickname the Merry Monarch yeah. for a reason. Mm-hmm. Also because he slept around a lot. <laughs> he was he was a fan of the people and of the brothels in, in, around, in around London as well. Yeah. Um, and so Charles, um, you know, was kind of bringing back kind of a, a faith in, in the monarchy. Right. People really liked him. But yet you still kind of had this pesky thing of his brother James. And he was he gave his he gave his brother titles. He was a duke. Um, but James was kind of off doing his little philandering thing. And he kind of also was dabbling in Catholicism. And uh, people weren't really crazy about this whole mm-hmm. idea. Communion wafer here, a little... Sacra, uh, sacramental wine. wine over there. Yeah, I know, right? Little dab. <laughs> Anglicans have communion too. Yeah, that's oh, true. that's true. That's Let's yeah. just clarify here. Yeah, little but, little saint saint worship here. <laughs> but James is more like, oh, it's two o'clock. Time for me to look at the picture of the Pope. And then he <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I needed my fix. <laughs> yeah. That's um, what they more took issue with. <laughs> right. Um, but Charles attempted to introduce um, religious freedom for both Catholics and Protestant um, dissenters. And the English Parliament actually forced him to withdraw it because they're like, no, no, we're still a Protestant nation. We still have the Church of England. And uh in 1679, uh, there was a man named Titus Oates who had these um, revelations that sparked what they called the exclusion crisis when it was revealed that Charles' brother and heir, James, was actually a Catholic. And so people got really pissy about that. Um, and there was all this pro-exclusion um, conflict with the Whigs um, against the anti-exclusion Tories. Hmm. So you kind of start to see the two parties kind of butt heads. Um, and Charles actually sided with the Tories, um, and especially uh, following the discovery of what was known as the Rye House Plot, which was a plot to murder both Charles and James. Um, and some Whig leaders were actually um, executed and forced into exile hmm. because, you know, they were trying to kill the king and his brother. Generally yeah. frowned upon, yeah. Yeah, generally yeah, speaking. Conspiracy to, to kill a head of state, generally not a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So Charles II dissolved the English Parliament in 1681 because, again, he's a little pissy about all this stuff. <laughs> um, and he ruled alone until his death um, in 1685 when he died at the age of 54 of apoplexy. What is that? Internal bleeding. Oh, oh. I thought it was failure to win at Scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> right. There we go. Well done, Brian. Um, funny enough, though, that Charles II was actually received into the Roman Catholic Church on his deathbed. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so his Catholic sympathies. Secret Catholic sympathies. Yeah. He would secretly look at the picture of the Pope, whereas his brother did it openly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I kind of want to take it back to James for a quick second. Um, so as I said, James was a duke under Charles II, but he... Um, actually kind of prompted some controversy a little bit, not only with dabbling in Catholicism, but he also um, announced his engagement to a woman named Anne Hyde, who was a commoner who, I mean, in the sense that she wasn't part of the royal, you know. She wasn't part of the peerage or the yeah. royal family. Yeah. yeah. Um, but her dad worked for the king. And so that's how they met. So she was, a, he was, she was a daughter of a guy at court, basically. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, she was invited to like the outings and luncheons and things like that. She dressed very nicely, yeah, and she, she came. Dressed, she had lots of money. Yeah. yeah, she was she was well off, but it was still she was still a commoner, um, and therefore the fact that uh, James was engaged to her was a kind of a big deal. And she actually became um, pregnant in 1660, but following the restoration and um, uh, the return to power, no one at royal court expected a prince to marry her commoner, no matter what he had actually promised her. Mm. Um, and in fact, her dad didn't even want them to marry. He encouraged them not to, so they married secretly, and oh. then later went through an official marriage ceremony in September of 1660. Was it a secret Catholic ceremony? Possibly, yeah. More um, than likely, yeah. Yeah. And they each held secret pictures of the Pope. Well, <laughs> naturally, yeah. it's part of the. So part when of you the get, secret Catholic. When you when you when you want to engage in a secret marriage in the Catholic Church, there are certain rules you have to follow. One of them is. Yes, you're gonna be you no. Know, you're you're gonna be open to children every time you have sex. You know, obviously, no infidelity, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But the one is you have to hold a picture of the Pope in your hands every time yeah. when you say the vows. Tiny little pictures, could be a sketch. Yeah, doesn't have to be a photograph. Obviously, they didn't have photos at this point in time. <laughs> no, so, <laughs> but he rambling. did. But he did, in fact, carry an etching in his wallet of the Pope. <laughs> now that's like, real. Like several. Like when you like when he opened the, it was like an accordion style thing where oh. it just you know all this these pictures. definitely real. All yeah, pictures of the Pope. This is the Pope, Pope on Monday. This is the Pope on Wednesday. <laughs> this is the Pope at the beach. <laughs> this is the Pope on a bearskin rug. <laughs> this is my favorite Dear one God. of Pope He wore the cassock, folks. He wore the cassock on the bearskin rug photo. Just want to make that very clear. <laughs> oh, he was wearing the hat all right. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> um, wow, that's a new low. <laughs> um, anywho, um, their first child, Charles, um, because the British are not very creative with names. Or Chucky, as he was known. Yeah, Chucky. Um, Eventually he'd be called Charles the Pretender, but that's beside that the po- later on. Sorry. Brian? <laughs> Like you just you know I was really excited because the I saw it the name the Pretenders yes and yeah. I was like oh sweet we're gonna cover the rock band yeah and it turns out no Not talking quite. about the jiggle pipes yeah also so. interesting uh, the Pretender ran alongside the Highlander at some point as well yes the Pretender was a great show on NBC I agree with that <laughs> oh my god awesome spy show you guys you guys are too <laughs> it's much the way it all ties in yep it's, it's perfect so it's perfect you know there was a surprising lack of humor in the Everest episode. We're bringing it back a yeah, little bit. Light, right. Yeah, lightening it up a little <laughs> yeah. bit, shall we? Um, so Charles was born um, less than two months after they were married, but he died in infancy. Um, oh, never mind. Not that Charles. Not that Charles. Other Charles. Um, as did five further sons and daughters. Actually, only two survived, Mary and Anne. Again, not very creative with the names in the royal family. We're going to have to start adding numbers to the end of these. Seriously. Um and Mary actually would go on to marry uh, William the Orange, which is important to note. Um, and then Anne Hyde actually died in 1671, uh, not too long after. Um, and Charles II actually, um, you know, being king at this time and still very much alive at this point, um, had actually made sure that Mary and Anne were raised to be Protestant. It was a demand, I think, wasn't it? It was absolutely a demand. And in and around what year are we in at this point? We're kind of bouncing around a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Mary was born in 1662. Anne was okay. born in 1665. Okay. Anne Hyde died in 1671. Okay. Got it. Right? So, But in between the time when Anne Hyde 
Anhyde died. Got it. Got right. it. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Um, so James was a Catholic, and he decided that um, by promoting edicts of religious tolerance, um, he would actually be able to surreptitiously reestablish Catholicism as the official faith in the British Isles. <laughs> so he, then, he, he was on a little bit of a mission. Yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> there we go. Um, pun not intended, but I like it anyway. We're running with it. Um, and James had actually spent some time in France while, um, uh, you know, while people were just happened to be in exile at that point. <laughs> and it exposed him to beliefs and ceremonies of Catholicism. And um, both he and his wife, Anne, became really drawn to it. And James took the Eucharist in the Roman Catholic Church in 1668 or 1669 by some counts. Um, although the conversion was kept secret for some time and he continued to attend Anglican services until 1676. Yeah. Now, at this point in time, I just want to make a quick addendum. There was a lot of gray area over whether the Anglican faith was a, an offshoot of the Catholic Church or not. It wasn't yeah. officially established that it was not a branch of the Catholic Church until like the 1800s. Yeah. Hmm. So it's it sounds like semantics, that, but it it's really not. Like... Mm -hmm. The Protestants truly wanted to acknowledge that the Church of England was no way connected to the Catholic Church. But there were a lot of Anglo-Catholic people who were like kind of in the middle, like you were said, the more, yeah. the more tolerant people who were like, sure, we're, in, we're seeing the Mass in English, but it's still kind of the same religion. So. Yeah, exactly. They still do the same stuff, the same routine kind of exactly. thing. Um, and yeah, so Charles really did oppose the conversion. And then he did make the order that James's daughter, Mary and Anne, should be raised as Protestants. Um However, he also happened to allow James to um, remarry with uh, the Catholic Mary of Modena, who was a 15-year-old Italian princess. Um, probably because of political reasons, but a lot of British people were extremely distrustful, and um, they actually thought that this new duchess, because she was a duchess at this point, um, was an agent of the Pope. Yeah, it was also kind of the, the gross thing to do for the time, so yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, there's that. Well, she did also carry with her a giant bust of the Pope. She she would look <laughs> at the bust of the Pope instead of a sketch of the Pope. Right. My God, the Pope is everywhere. The Pope is everywhere. Uh, <laughs> she had a tattoo of the Pope on her butt. Um, <laughs> I was going to make a papal tattoo joke, but at the same time, I think at this point, it was still frowned upon. Yeah, probably. For you to have tattoos. Probably. So... <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when Charles II died, James was the only legitimate heir because Charles did not have um, any children. Well, legitimate he, had, children. he had children. He just have legitimate children. Yes. Yeah, so so. Like I said, he was a big fan of the brothels. Yeah. yeah. All the children. He was the uh, Robert Baratheon, if you will. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, Back into the Game of Thrones we are. <laughs> um, so James was coronated, as was his Catholic wife. Um and um, after the coronation, the new parliament that assembled in May 1685, which gained the name the Loyal Parliament, was initially really favorable. They liked James and what he was about. And um, the king had sent word that even the most former, even so, even most of the former exclusionists would be given or would be given power basically back in parliament. They'd be welcomed back um, if they, you know came back on their knees and kind of was like, oh, yeah, you're cool. Sorry, we didn't mean to be so mean to you because you're Catholic. Um, so all he really wanted was just to be included in the party. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I think that's fair. Who doesn't? Yeah, but also keep in mind that there was also the, you know, there's some accounts saying that he also wanted Catholicism to be the ruling 
religion again. So <laughs> sure, but did he want to ex? Did he want to like exterminate the Anglicans? That's the question. I, that's that is the question. Because that's like if we're getting into like Bloody Mary Tudor kind of God, territory, I don't know. Yeah. then I understand why there was a yeah. cause for alarm. But yeah. if he was just like coexisting, like Elizabeth the first kind of promoted. Well, at this point, not necessarily. He was mostly just working to repeal um, the mm. penal laws against the Catholics, right. um, to put Catholics in positions of power. Um, one of the biggest things is he um, very openly defied what was known as the Test Act, um, which meant that you that no Catholic could hold a position of power, um, including higher ranks in the military, um, unless they had you know kind of rescinded on their faith and gone with the Church of England. Right. So. Um, and he wanted to, to really promote Catholicism and challenge the Church of England. Yeah. Um, and in 1688, he reissued the Declaration of Indulgence, which, you know, again, was trying to encourage tolerance of the religions. Um, and seven bishops, including the Archbishop of Canterbury himself, submitted a petition um, requesting the reconsideration of the policies. They were all arrested and tried for libel. Wow. And sedition, yeah. So, a little more aggressive. Yeah, it got a little cranky. Yeah. And that actually was, it basically produced near hysteria um, among the Protestant subjects who, you know, were basically taught that Catholicism is awful. And now our king is Catholic yeah. and he's acting awfully. Mm. Yeah. And to make things serious for a moment, we joked a lot about like pictures of the Pope and looking at the pictures of the Pope yeah. and all that stuff. But to be really serious for a moment, the reason why this is all a big issue is because of tremendous overreaches by the papacy during this period of time where the Pope believed it was his absolute right yeah. to influence any member of, of any government because he was their head, you know? So they were really more or less afraid of Catholic dictatorship, uh, which had pretty much been the case in the early part of the millennium. Not and every also, Pope with John Paul II. No, I, but I mean, also keep in mind that some people were worried about that when JFK became president. So exactly. Yeah. You know, it's mm. still, still kind of a common ish fear yeah, and all he did was get us to the moon yeah seriously um so then when king james and the queen had a son a legitimate son born into the royal family um british protestants were faced with the prospect of um a catholic dynasty yeah and this is what led to the glorious revolution yes as it so became named um Seven Protestant nobles had asked James, James's Protestant son-in-law, William of Orange, um, over in Holland, uh, to come over to England with an army. And in 1688, William the Orange led a very successful invasion of England, which um, <laughs> it was mostly because James panicked and fled. Um, as it so happened, as the rumor went, um, he took his took the seal the royal seal and chucked it into the river thames and bolted um but he was captured in kent um was kind of allowed to escape um and he went to france and stayed with his cousin louis the 14th um and english parliament decided said that because james had ran off and he chucked his seal into the river um he was he had actually abdicated the throne that he gave up his right to, to have it. If he actually did that. If he actually did that. Yeah. And so technically the bloodline was not broken because Mary, of course, was his daughter. Mary so, was his daughter, yeah. So it's technically... So he had to abdicate in order to make this legit. 
Exactly. Yeah. Because otherwise, it, she would have been a usurper. Right. Even if though I'm, if I'm James, what makes me want to abdicate at this point? Why would I want to really do that? Because he knows that um, Protestants completely outnumber Catholics at this point, I think. And the the hysteria that was caused by just, you know, him kind of trying to get Catholicism to be more in power. And the fact that William of Orange was a really fierce leader, a very capable leader, and had a really killer army, um, he, he panicked. Yeah. Mm. But not only that, I think what's important here is the shift toward... While we saw it with Charles I and Oliver Cromwell, we see an even bigger shift now. We understand that who really pertain, maintains the power in England now. It's not the yeah. throne. Yeah. It's not the crown. It's it's very clearly parliament at this point. Yeah. They control who becomes king. Mm-hmm. They facilitate all that. The king is one step closer to being a figurehead at this yeah. point. Yeah. So Mary and William end up taking over the throne and ruling together. And Parliament passes a Bill of Rights claiming that no Catholic may sit on the throne. Which is, uh, I believe, was in effect only until a few years ago. Yeah. Um, I think they rescinded it with the same rule that said only a firstborn son could ascend to the throne. And yeah. with the prospect of Prince William having a daughter, um, this is before um, his son was born, whose name is all of a sudden escaping me. Um, uh, James's son? No, uh, no, the current Prince William's son. Um, George? Thank you. Um, before, this is before Prince George was, was born. Um, they rescinded it so that if he had a, a son or a daughter, either yeah. way, they'd be the heir to the throne. Yeah. Mm. And they also rescinded the the cat, this very act you were talked about. So. Right, right. So now, here's where we get into the fun part, where we actually talk about Jacobites. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're talking about those guys. Yeah. Yes, that was so, the episode one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel like you really had to kind of set the scene because it's yeah. so important to know why people were really fired up by this. Right? Yeah, totally. Um, so we're going to, we're actually going to start in Scotland because let, let's not forget that James is not just king of England. He's also the king of England right. and, or England, Scotland and Ireland. Right. So you got three countries who are kind of invested in what's going on. Right. Well, that's also because he's James the seventh and second. Yes. Right. Because he was, there had been six King Jameses in Scotland before mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So that's why he has those two, two numbers. Yes. Jimmy 7-2, as we call him. Yeah, the old Jimmy 7-2. Um, James the 72nd. Oh. James the 7th and 2nd. Yes. Okay. Or the 27th. Oh, no, my God. 72nd sounds better. Okay. So, anyway, um, let's kind of focus on Scotland here for a second. Scotland's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to our king? <laughs> like, what's going on? Um, and they were really unsure of what to do in this situation because there's a lot of Catholics in Scotland, but they also have a lot of people who are just in the clan system who kind of just, they have their Scottish parliament, but at the same time, it's like they've got their king and they're kind of like, our king just abandoned what the heck happened. And, um, while William did try to write a pretty conciliatory letter, James wrote kind of a sassy little letter and, um, (laughs) it ended up splitting the convention that had met the Scottish national convention, um, kind of in two. And there was one man in particular um, named John Graham of Claverhouse. Um, he was the Tory Viscount Dundee. And so he was also known as the Bonnie Dundee later yeah. on. Viscount is a rank below count. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
and he he basically saw that the convention was kind of more siding to uh, more siding with William, and he disagreed. He absolutely followed James, and so um, yes, he was named the Bonnie Dundee actually by Sir William Scott many years later. Um, but he basically went through and rallied all the Highland clans and was ready to completely receive troops from Ireland and start taking back England. He was so ready to rebel. Um, it sounds very Scottish of him. Yeah. It was a really slow gathering of the troops, of course. Um, the Jacobites had eight battalions and two companies, and they were pretty much all Highlanders. Um, Dundee gained the confidence of the clans by basically... What? Sorry. There can only be one. Is that what you were thinking? (laughs) There can only be one king. (laughs) I was like, that's what I was waiting for. (laughs) Um, So he gained the confidence of the clans by really kind of um, highlighting and cultivating the allegiance that each Highlander had with each other and kind of respecting the precedence and the clan system. Um, Because he kind of realized that the the Jacobite cause, trying to get James back on the throne, was really secondary to mm. we are different than England and we don't want England's problems yeah. and we want independence. Right. So it, he was kind of like playing on that a little bit of, of trying to, because you also have to figure at this time, like British troops are kind of wandering around. Well, he was a and, politician. You have to speak oh, for sure. to your crowd. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, also, I mean, there's probably bad blood from the fact that how 800 years before this, maybe 600 years before this, the English had tried to conquer them. Yeah. And they had fought so hard for their oh, independence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They weren't really happy when James I ended up becoming mm-hmm. the king of England yeah. by default uh, as it was. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, there's a lot of sordid history and a lot of yeah. discontent that plays into this. Still is today. Oh, people <laughs> freak out when, when... And yet they didn't vote for independence when I, they were given the option yeah. to... People Crazy. freak out when when the current doctor all of a sudden is played by a Scottish actor. Right, seriously, you know? so it, I know. It, no, no big surprise. Right. Um, so here's what's really interesting, though. So here you have the this Jacobite army that's mostly composed, as I said, of Highlanders, and they're going up against a British infantry. So I love this because it just <laughs> it's just one of those times when you have like you know badass Celtic warrior type thing um, where. You know, the infantry comes up and they're ready to fight in formation and, you know, take their turn shooting and all this other stuff. And the Highlanders basically, they set aside their plaids because that's formal. It's not for the battlefield. Um, And as soon as fire starts coming from the British side, they all just drop to the ground and they kind of like lay low. And as soon as the fire kind of ceases for a second, they jump up start screaming like Highland <laughs> calls and charging at them with like giant broadswords and shields and like ba- Mel Gibson and axes and pitchforks yeah. and you know pretty rad giant rocks and logs Freedom. and basically whatever they could get their hands on. I do want to dispel a myth here because uh-huh. you just said that they put their plaids away because that was for regalia that was mm-hmm. not for the battlefield. Well let's make something very clear that from the, the times of William Wallace going forward, the Scots wore armor. They yeah. did not go into battle wearing just wearing kilts and swords. They did not fight bare-chested. They, they were not stupid. They knew that the, no warfare required full armaments. And admittedly, also, that is when they had armor, when they had it. So there were a lot right. of poor people who absolutely fought who couldn't afford armor. But it was certainly not 
what we now think no, of. No, 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 not really. And it's drafty in English. <laughs> it's it's very, very drafty. Sure. sure. Yes. I'm just saying, I couldn't wield a sword if I had, you know. You were swinging in the breeze? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so basically what they ended up, ha what ended up happening is the Scottish troops were completely catching the British off guard by whatever the heck it was that they were doing. Like, is this the first time anyone faced off against the British army and just thought to lay down in face of gunfire? Cause that's kind of brilliant considering it takes, you know, at this time in history, it would have taken a couple of minutes to reload, uh, their muskets. It may have been the first time that these people like that these troops can like, like, oh that. my god, they've laid down. What are we going to do now? Run well, away! I mean, you have to figure, like, battle was really formal. Yeah. You know, it really was. It was, a, yeah. it was a chess setup, you know? So. Oh, very good, yes. Yeah. We'll meet here and die at this time, shall we? Yes. It's it's just, very good, yes. It's like, I would love to hear, like, the general ask for, like, the report. What's your report, Lieutenant? Well, they, they started screaming <laughs> unintelligible words, and they were throwing pitchforks and axes and it's really quite striking they didn't respond to any of our pleas to please calm down relax first and get into an orderly formation <laughs> exactly and they interrupted us during tea yes they would have been quite rude really quite rude yes good god and they didn't even have the pinkies out <laughs> um <laughs> but what's interesting so this at this battle um and Specifically, the Battle of of Killy Cranky. Um, I'm sorry, what? I'm probably pronouncing that horribly wrong. What's Actually, it, if it's Scottish, it? you're probably pronouncing it 100 percent correctly. Uh, no, I think I Killy Cranky. Killy Cranky probably sounds right, but it looks like Killer Cranky. Yeah, it looks As in, like, like it there looks was like, a Killer Cranky uh, yeah. crazy man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so they they actually destroyed William's troops. Um. In 1689, um, but in that same battle, uh, the Bonnie Dundee passed away himself. Oh. And he was the head of this movement. And so when he died, it left the movement headless. And so kind of meanwhile, while all that's going on in Scotland, over in Ireland, Ireland was also kind of holding out. They, just made it, they basically just said um, that James was still the rightful king by the Irish Parliament. Um, and James actually went to Ireland and he worked to build up an army, um, but they were ultimately defeated at the Battle of Boyne in uh, 1690. And that's when, when William showed up and basically kicked their butts all over town. Because hmm. William actually personally led that army to defeat James. So kind of discouraged by what was going on with what's happening in Ireland and the Scottish forces kind of going, well, now what? And then James says, I'm going to go back to France for a minute. <laughs> and basically the Jacobite cause kind of petered out for a while. And uh, and James actually never returned to any of his former kingdoms because he ended up dying of a brain hemorrhage in 1701. Right. So the name just mm -hmm. kind of carries in his, in, in his honor. But yeah. it was more or less shifts from becoming his name to restoring a Catholic monarchy in England. Right. So, I mean, it's not entirely over, though. So, I mean, James still has a son, James Francis Edward Stewart, and they basically called him the, um, well, the Whigs and the, and the Protestants called him the Pretender because he pretended that he was the rightful king to England. And he clearly was not because he was Catholic. Um, 
His supporters proclaimed him King, King James III of England and Ireland. The third and eighth. <laughs> and, the, and the eighth in Scotland. Yeah. Um, so we're at the 83rd now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he had the endorsement of, of King Louis XIV and the Pope, um, Pope Clement the 11th, actually. Lovely. Yeah. Because <laughs> that matters so much at this point in time. Yeah, seriously. Why can't there just be like a King Rudy? I, or, you King know, like, Rudy? Yeah, like a, like a, like a Pope. Rudolph? Uh, like King Rudolph? Pope Joe, you know, just mix it up a little bit anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, and the the pretender, James, James Stewart, um, actually also had uh, his son, Charles Stewart, who would become known as the young pretender or the Bonnie Prince Charles. as by his And as we said, they formed the rock band, the pretenders. Yes. The father and son duo at first. <laughs> 300 years in the making, guys. And their Seriously. albums. You know, I, I love their Christmas songs personally, you know, just saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so there was actually, you know, um, still some more, you know, attempt at trying to rebel. There was a French invasion um, attempt in 1708 that just completely misfired. But it came as a reaction to uh, the Union of 1707, which actually uh, united scotland and england to be officially one country one country yeah great britain and thus the birth of the united kingdom yeah <laughs> well i mean no almost no because the united kingdom was technically formed with james the sixth and first um but this 61st yes <laughs> <laughs> but it this further pushed it to say that there really was no well, scotland is now a region it's not really a country unto itself okay, so it was like um, uk beta this is essentially when you see, test. I think this is when you see the Union Jack, right? As the official flag of the of the UK. Because it became, instead of the, the United Kingdom of England, Ireland, and Scotland, mm -hmm. it was now the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. Yeah. Is what the, the title actually oh, got changed to. There's okay. so much freaking nuance yeah. here. It's Because ridiculous. Great Britain, of course, is the landmass yeah. of Wales, England, and Scotland. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. But basically, at this point, um, while that union was happening and as and the time leading up to that, the there were, you still had a lot of people who were not happy with what William was doing on the throne. They thought that his reign over Scotland was just kind of tactless and had a lot of economic disasters. He wasn't supporting them when they tried to have when they tried to form a Scottish colony in Panama. Um, and it left a lot of colonists dead, and a lot of people were pissed off about it. Seriously? Yeah, I'm, no joke. Wow. Called the Darien Scheme. Look it up. Named after the fruit. Not <laughs> Darien. Darien. <laughs> Scots and Panama. Yeah. Who knew? And so basically the, the Jacobite cause kind of starts to become more of a magnet and pulls people in. And so uh, the French saw an opportunity. They tried to get there and invade. But of course, they were a little late and the Royal Navy was already <laughs> there. So they got their butt kicked and went back to France. That was the failed invasion of 1708. Moving right along. <laughs> the 15 Rebellion, otherwise known as Mars Rebellion. This was another big one. Um, Jacobite or Jacobitism was um, very dangerous still in Great Britain. And people were, you know, kind of wary of what was going on with the Catholic cause and, and wanting to um, promote the pretender to the throne. And um, there were a lot of promised benefits to the union that just didn't happen and so there was a lot of um heavy tax increases mm. and um a lot of a lot of humiliations for the scottish um because you know the english were still dominating parliament in westminster um and then at this point 
William's gone and George I of Hanover is succeeded to the throne in 1715 because um, he was the closest relative at that point. Who was not Catholic. He was not Catholic. To be, to be fair, because there was plenty of Catholic mm-hmm. relatives who could have, like over 50 that could have easily yeah. taken over. Yeah. Um, and he actually ended up um, firing one of Scotland's most influential politicians, which was John Erskine, Earl of Mar. And so Mar decided to... Earl of Mars? Earl of Mar. Oh, damn. <laughs> I was like, there was Martian yes. nobility? <laughs> yes, Martian nobility. Um, so Mar retaliated and he, you know, raised the banners for the House of Stuart. And he actually, on his banner itself, put the arms of Scotland on one side and the words no union on the other. Right. Um, well, of course, the, the famous uh, Stuart phrase, look what I can do. Look what I can do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Go back to the 90s and watch Mad TV. Yeah, seriously. So basically. Personally, I thought they were going to say because I'm good enough. I'm I'm smart enough. And doggone it. it, People people like me. (laughs) But in reality, Mar actually was able to quickly rally the Scottish, tr- like Scottish people, on his side, and he didn't even have to really go and hold court with any Jacobites or anything like that. He just basically said, "Screw the British," and they're like, "Yeah, all right." <laughs> uh, and so um, there was a long, uh, there was a lot of strong support, um, especially in the Highlands, of course. And um, one historian, Bruce Lundman, called it the um, rising of patriotic Scots and disgruntled Britons. And um, because you had a lot of uh, Tories who were on side as well. Mm. And the government commander, the Duke of Argyle, uh, warned his own side, the, the British, that um, beyond... You should wear diamonds. <laughs> you should wear your clothes in a diamond pattern. <laughs> My God. He said, beyond the, fa- uh, beyond the fourth, the rebels have 100 to 1 at least against us. And so um, the Union was really actually afraid. Um, Those are crap odds. Yeah. Argyle sees the strategically vital ground around Sterling, but he was super outnumbered. Um, And when there was another battle at Sheriff Muir and when all seemed lost for the Scots, um, Mar actually lost his nerve and suddenly withdrew. Hmm. And... King J- and Jimmy Jr. showed up and he could not pull things back together. He like had just gotten there and he's like, wait a minute, everybody's gone? <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> and um, and he couldn't, yeah, he couldn't put it back together and he went back to France again. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of just like, run away, run away. <laughs> It's like the it's like the reset button of Europe. At this Seriously, point. and but uh, not after five, but not before finding some lovely Argyle sweaters on the battlefield. Yeah, that fit just perfect. But and there hadn't really been any kind of uprising like that since Dundee's uprising, um, and and this one was complete like completely started in Britain as opposed to somebody trying to start it over in France and get people over there. Yeah. Um, it was also the only occasion when a sizable rebellion also broke out in England. Um, and uh, it was just <laughs> the poor Stuarts had to run away again. Um, and they really, at that point, um, became political pawns in foreign hands, um, kind of between the, Fran- uh, the French and Spain, trying to somehow use them to take England. So Spain tried for it in 1719. 
didn't quite work out. Um, they had actually taken some ships over, but because of a really bad storm, some of the ships got destroyed. And then um, they kind of like I think I think James actually showed up, and they were like, "No, nope, no, no, go back." And he's like, oh, "Okay, I'll go back again." <laughs> it's just really kind of depressing. <laughs> And then we have a kind of a halt for 25 years. Yeah, for quite some time. There was a, a planned invasion in 1744 um, because um, after the the War of Austrian Succession um, kind of had taken Britain and France out into the open with these, um, not official, but, you know, hostilities against each other. Surprise, this, surprise, surprise. The British and the French don't like each other. What? What? Absurd. I know. Um, so the, so they were leading English Jacobites who actually made a formal request for France to, to come have armed intervention. Um, and, uh, Louis, the they were like, we don't like you come fight us. Yeah. <laughs> Louis the 15th was, um, actually authorized to, to have a large scale invasion of Southern England. Just, um, it's like two people like trolling each other on the internet oh, saying, seriously? fight me in real life. <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. Um, only with a carrier pigeon. <laughs> exactly. And the troops were were marched to to go take them. Um, and Charles Edward Stuart, the the young pretender at this point, um, with the guidance of the English Jacobites, were really ready to to march on London. Because Charles actually at that point, I think it was actually in exile in Rome, and they went back to France, and then were going back to go to invade. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy, and. Then one of the worst storms of the century happened and kind of took out the English Channel and put, like, it sunk one ship entirely, yeah. put five out of action. And uh, I'm sorry, this year's war is canceled due to poor weather. Yeah, exactly. C can we talk for just a quick moment? Because uh -huh. we've been mentioning France a lot. Yeah. Why Why France, of all places? Because the, the French monarchy was cousins. They were cousins. pretty much. I mean, yeah. Mary Stuart had at one when she was Queen of Scotland. She had married the King of France at one point. Um, well, this all goes back to William. This goes back. Even well, I mean, you know, if you're talking about the if you're talking about William the Conqueror, yes, we all know the Norman invasion and things like that. But particularly the the the, the camaraderie between the Scots and the French oh, yes, yeah. goes to the Stuart family, mm -hmm. and that Mary Stuart actually spent many years in France. In fact, she spoke with a French accent. Um, with English, she didn't actually have a Scottish brogue at all. Um, it's words. Well, it's assumed that because of how deeply in touch she was with the with the royal family there. So I just want to lay that down is like that's why they had yeah. such good kinship with this the French royal family is because of yeah. that long, long, long history together. Yeah. Um, so after so after the war was canceled due to bad weather, um, actually the British were like, okay, France, you want to have it out? That's fine. We'll get into a war again again but not if charles is here if charles is there we're not doing this and so france was like okay we're declaring war charles go away <laughs> and they basically kind of tucked him back in the corner and they said we're not giving you support to take over the throne but we're gonna have it out with britain right now and maybe later you might come back into the so picture. it's like this isn't your party anymore we just crashed it seriously <laughs> seriously um they seniored this <laughs> However, party. those French invasion plans obviously collapsed, and um, Charles himself put together his own little tiny invasion force uh, force to land in Scotland. He well, was, of course he did, because he invades 
Like he goes on vacation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. Um, but the really interesting part is that um, this is where Outlander takes place. And so we know that Claire actually goes over and starts... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but this actually is the part where if you are a fan of the show, this is this is the, the time when we're talking where Charles is trying to um, use his power, um, what power he has, as he calls it, again, his divine right to the throne to go back and have and raise some troops in Scotland because he thinks that if he can just get the Scots on his side, he will have enough power to take England. Um, and so he, a few Scottish Highland clans had sent a message saying that they would rise if he arrived with 3,000 Fr uh, French troops. Um, he did not quite have that. He had three. <laughs> um. <laughs> it was it was certainly not that much, but he was able to get over there with the help of some um, Irish privateers. Ooh. I was like, so we have three, and they were like times ten to the third. <laughs> or no, not quite. No, um, but you guys love the Irish, right? Seriously, and so he gets some Irish merchants and some privateers to help get him to Scotland on a very secret little expedition. Um, he landed there in July 1745 with two ships, with some money, some arms, and some Brit some Irish troops. Um, and uh, they were on the way there. They were stopped by a patrolling Navy warship that fought hard. Um, so one of the ships had to go back. But Charles set forth, and he went through, and he was actually able to get there. Um, but he came without the men and the money and the guns that he had promised. Um, but he was sure as heck determined. And so uh, he basically told the chieftains, look, if you do this, if you rise with me, I swear to God, you'll be compensated. <laughs> and some of them believed him. Some of them didn't. Um, the chief clan, uh, the chief of the clan, Cameron, um, really did commit his people most notably. Um, I think the Campbells <clears throat> as well. And uh, he was able to get about 1,200 men altogether, not right. quite 3,000 troops. Um, however, it was still actually a big success in the beginning because um, Britain was still currently in the midst of the War of Austrian Succession. And a lot of the British army was over in Germany and on the mainland. Yeah. And so they left behind basically an experienced arm, inexperienced army of about 4,000 um, under Sir John Cope. Who coped quite well with the whole situation. He right? coped quite well, indeed. Um, I mean, it was his namesake after all. <laughs> in fact, he was named Sir John Cope because of how well he coped. Well, I think it was in response. He's like, are you guys going to be all right if we go and do this? Oh, we'll cope. Yeah, we'll cope. We're coping. <laughs> He's doing it so well. <laughs> um, What's your name? Smith? No, not good enough. <laughs> cope. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I was just burping too. Sorry. Cope shall be your surname. Uh, so they there was a kind of a general reluctance in a lot of the population to kind of martyr themselves for for George the Second. Actually, so the British were kind of like, mm. actually at this point it was a Scottish. So they basically were kind of like, yeah, we don't really like George the Second. We don't really think you should be king, but we don't really care. So yeah, you can hang out here in Edinburgh for a little while, yeah. and we're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, and so he ended up taking Charles ended up taking residence in Holyrood House for about five weeks. Um, and he, See, I told you the guy's only there on vacation. Seriously. Um, and he's trying to like, trying to generate some support. So he says that, you know, 
second he becomes a king, he's going to abolish the union and, and, you know, screw the British and all this other stuff. And, uh, and basically general Cope kind of got up there a little bit late and, um, the Jacobites saw them coming and general George Murray, uh, led the army, um, at a, at the battle of Preston pens and tore them apart. And in yeah. fact, some accounts say the battle lasted 15 minutes. Others said it lasted about seven or eight. Wow. So they came in with a freaking fury and destroyed them. Um, and the Jacobite army at that point possessed Scotland. So again, initially a grand success. Yeah. Uh, Charles had assured his commanders that his loyal English subjects were going to join them and that they were going to totally get a massive French military aid. And uh, it those were all... Empty promises, of course. Um, and eventually Prince Charles did cross the English border with um, 5,500 men, and he started to advance through England. And by December, they had reached uh, Derby, which is kind of towards the, the middle of the country, um, about 120 miles away from London. But bad winter weather, um, as it often happens on these foot battles, of course, yeah. um, kind of took its toll. And uh, there, there were no swellings of ranks and from England to, to side with them. The, all those promises that, that Prince Charles had made obviously were not coming to fruition. So at Derby, um, Charles' military council forced them to retreat uh, because there was, you know, the, George II's army was 12,000 people coming at them at that point and another army of redcoats behind that. So the... They, they said were done. they were like, this is not going to yeah. happen. So he, they all turned around and bailed. Um, but what they didn't know, what the council didn't know at that point was that London was in a full freaking panic. And King George had actually had his valuables packed on a boat on the river, ready to bounce <laughs> if mm. they got even closer. Um, Charles had argued against the retreat, but they did it anyway. Um, and, and if he had convinced them otherwise... You, they could have been completely wiped out or they could have been successful. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, still 12,000 against, you know, 5,500. Could have been a very different England for the next 100 years. A very different England. Oh, yeah. Well, not only that, but imagine the ramifications in America. That's exactly have, what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you have, if the Jacobites took control, or Jacobites, excuse me, their allies with the French would have just strengthened that bond even more and put aside hundreds of years of French-British hostilities all right smack dab at the time in which, uh, you know, the American Revolution was was just beginning to kind of bubble and simmer. And, you know, the French helped us win the war. If we didn't have the French, yeah. we wouldn't be the America that we are today. For sure. Yeah. Uh, imagine if they had sided with the British instead. Our revolution... Maybe not have been well, the glorious that, one we had. If we had a different, but taking it back even further, if we had a different king on the throne, there may not have been as many unfair taxes in the first place. Uh, the seeds of this was happening at this point in uh, in the American colonies already. So I don't know. Right. But because of George the Second, if George the Second and George the Third had never, or George the Third never had become king, yeah. some argue that America was destined to become its own. You know, country usually America's going to yeah. <laughs> it's gonna happen. It's gonna no, happen. I'm not. I'm. I'm just. I'm just making. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, there are a lot yeah. of what ifs that could exactly. happen sure. here. Um, but what ended up happening was that um, the Duke of Cumberland, William, who was actually a son of King George the First, in charge of the army, charged these guys, like chased them all the way back to Glasgow, and um, 
really uh, kind of met with them, met with the Jacobites up in Falkirk. And uh, again, because of the tactics of uh, George Murray, the Highlanders were actually able to inflict really heavy casualties um, and they left the, and all the British army kind of left the battlefield in confusion. Again, Highlanders are crazy. You oh, don't yeah. want to mess with them. <laughs> and then Cumberland went and started an outdoor clothing line. There, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is going on in England? I, it's crazy. Well, it was really cold, so we got a good idea. The Duke of Gap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Charles then reached uh, Inverness with about 5,000 men. The government forces assembled, and uh, they had 8,000 men advancing on Inverness, and then they all met in Culloden Moor. And um, there was cannon fire for over an hour, which killed so many clansmen. Um, this is all in 1746. And when the Highlanders eventually charged, the rifle fire from the Redcoats actually ripped into them because at that point they were expecting them. Their tactics from before of catching them by surprise were, wasn't working anymore. Um, and Cumberland eventually got the name Butcher Cumberland because he had given the order to go around and shoot anybody who was a survivor. Um, it was estimated that the Jacobites' losses were about 2,000, while the the British Army lost about 300. Mm. And that was the it. That's the end of the Jacobite rebellions. But there's a huge aftermath to that, obviously. Um, the government hunted down anybody who was considered a Jacobite. Um, many houses and castles um, in the Highlands were all completely torched or just destroyed or sacked. Um, hundreds were executed after some very brief trials. 700 died in prison ships. Um, and about 1,000 were sold as slaves to American plantations because white slavery was absolutely a thing. Um, yep. The kilt was banned. The kilt was completely banned. Not cool. Um, Not cool. And no Highlander was allowed to carry a weapon after that. And the clan system, which was already kind of on shaky grounds at that point, um, was completely just I mean, decimated. The Highlanders not having weapons, I totally get because no sword, therefore you cannot yeah. claim your immortality right. by cutting off people's heads. So, mm -hmm. um, And as for the Bonnie Prince Charles himself, um, he actually made an escape dressed as a lady's maid. <laughs> And hid out um, in the house of a woman named Flora McDonald, who has her own very interesting history that we don't have time to get into. Um, and uh, during the Seven Years' War, the French drew up a plan to invade the British Isles, and they met with Charles Stewart because at that point he had already gone back to France, and um, you know discussed with him the idea of you know do you want to go back to Ireland or Scotland and help raise a rebellion again? And Charles saying absolutely not. So he, he said. He would only cross the channel if it was to lead a rebellion in England itself. And the French were convinced that he could deliver on his promises because he doesn't have a great track record. And uh, they eventually just abandoned that whole idea altogether. And a lot of the Jacobites anyway were fighting with the British forces around the world. So mm. that was the end of that. Fizzled out. Yep. Well. It's such an <clears throat> interesting part of British history and and of scottish history i mean to to again looking at looking at the clan system and i think i think we could probably do an entire episode on that too because there's just such a rich history there and yeah and you know anybody who ha is of scottish descent you know you still know who you know who your clans are i know who mine are um and it's and you have you know your tartans and all that other stuff there's a lot of pride there still um, yeah for for that 
um, it's just very, very interesting and kind of a really, a really sad end to it as well. Yeah. I know I'm part Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. My great grandfather mm -hmm. was Scottish on my dad's side. I'm so. part Monroe and part Morrison. So, uh, we're mostly Irish. Who knows? Yeah. Mm. And Belgian. And Bel Belgian. Well, no, I mean, we're most, well, actually we're, <laughs> I'm mostly, uh, Western European, uh, with just a smattering of Irish in there. That might be a little Scott. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe there somewhere. You never know. Uh, I have, a, I have yeah. an affinity for plaid, so yeah. Yeah, drop the mic on history. Yeah, yeah well does. <laughs> Vomiting right there. Sarah drops the mic. We just added in funny jokes. Like, you you led that episode It was gracefully. beautiful. Great, beautiful. great job. Thanks. Sorry for the ums. No, I was trying fine. to get through a lot of notes. Um, <laughs> speaking of I, I, no no joke, though, I literally had nine pages of notes that we just went through. Wow. In an hour. Jesus. Yeah. Well, let's... <laughs> she rocked it. Let's uh, end this episode on a high note. In the high lens. In the high lens. Um, by getting into some feedback, huh? Yay. This week in Listener Feedback. Yay. Our first feedback comes to us from Libby. Her subject is... I love your podcast. I wonder what she has to say. Dear Nerds on History. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she head faked us. Um, Dear Nerds on History, I absolutely love your podcast. I have recently discovered that half of the words that come out of my mouth are friends quotes, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. But I decided to take a broad step to decrease my TV time. I'm in middle school. And the Aww. other day, one of my classmates had mentioned that Albert Einstein was an introvert. And didn't learn to talk until a late age. That's and true. I chimed in about how he felt constrained in the classroom and how I had just listened to a podcast about him. Of course, my classmates thought I was quite odd that I was listening to a podcast, but whatever. Your show is great. I'm learning a lot. Sincerely, Libby. P.S. I wouldn't mind if you did a show on World War II or the Civil Rights Movement. Well, Libby, actually, Ooh. Ooh. World War II, we're going to get to. It's That's a that's yeah. another monster topic. I know <sighs> yeah. Eric wants it. and Believe me, Eric is extremely well-versed in World War II. We'll probably get to World War II before we'll do 30 Years War, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Libby, if you're interested, we actually did do an episode on the Civil Rights Movement. Um, it's called I'll Take Five. It was one of our early episodes. Yeah. Uh, and but from, definitely worth revisiting. Though. Absolutely. Yeah, because we, we definitely truncated it. But we're talking, uh, that was from January of 2013, if you're interested in going back in the archives and checking that out. And, and Libby, you let your podcast flag fly, girl. <laughs> yeah. I swear. I don't. Who thinks you're weird for listening to podcasts? It makes you awesome and I, educated. I'm right. also wondering, Libby, do you get all the jokes? Because like, are... oh, probably not, and that's okay. We don't have to explain. Here's the them. thing: if she's watching Friends, oh, oh yeah, maybe maybe she is, and she's and she's decided to in, in, indulge the '90s. Well, she's middle school. So we're talking you. sixth, seventh, maybe even eighth grade. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay, she's she's a young teenager basically. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Okay. A tween, if you will. We'll yeah. allow it. But you watch yourself, Libby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the hell was that? That was really threatening. <laughs> this is why I'm a father. Yeah. <laughs> you watch yourself. <laughs> Libby, you're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, Brian. Yeah, Brian's, Uncle Brian's a little scary The, the big bad right? Brian's not going to come get you. <laughs> yes, I'm going to reach out through the power of the internet. God. No, I'm not. How is that even possible? I don't know. I saw where there was that movie where the guy died and he was in the like the electricity. That was crazy. The ring? No, not the ring. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> it was like an early 90s movie. We just we talked about nerds on history like several weeks there's, ago. There's no more reason to move on to the next I know. 
um, this conversation. Shut up, Eric. It's late. <laughs> we, we already did read Alista's birthday request. We're going to skip past that to the next one from Kaylee. Yar. About river pirates. Yar. Kaylee says, subject, river pirates. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm currently listening to your pirate podcast. I've only made it halfway-ish through while writing this email. But Sarah's point about river piracy made me think of a song that is well-known here in Saskatchewan and throughout Canada. But maybe not so much in the U.S. I highly recommend listening to the song The Last Saskatchewan River Pirate by The Arrogant Worms. I love that band name. (laughs) Uh, She sent us a YouTube link and said, I also recommend checking out some of their other songs. They're quite entertaining and good for a laugh. You might get a kick out of History is Made by Stupid People, for example. (laughs) Enjoy. And a big old smiley face. Thank you for that. I love it. Thank you. Uh, Our last piece of feedback. Eric, do you want to read it? Uh, This piece of feedback comes from Clayton. Subject is Nerds on Words. Oh, so good, by the way. Hey, coming to you from Alabama, I love the podcast. I love the brief overview of the topics, the jovial and swift way your podcast makes it easy to understand and listen to as I do my homework. Nerds on Words sounds amazing. I don't know why someone hasn't already started a word podcast. Uh, Someone probably has, but I'm not so inclined to check is what he says. So get it started now. Hear that, Sarah? Now. Yeah, I do hear that. Um, real quick, though, there are plenty of other word podcasts. Not to say that it was that they're like the one that Brian and I did as a pilot. Yeah, we just got to the test. best title, though. We do. <laughs> um, but if you are interested in um, in listening to, to things about linguistics or word development, et cetera, um, really good podcast to check out. One is Grammar Girl and the other is Lexicon Valley produced by Slate. They are awesome. I was just listening to an episode with my favorite linguist, John McMorder. I kind of have like a linguistics crush on him. Um, and he was just on it as a guest and it was amazing. But yeah. to be clear, as soon as we get ours going again, uh, stop listening to everything else. Yeah. And I have a friend who's a PhD candidate in linguistics who I've known for years. I'll have to see if I can get him on the show. Mm-hmm. But Nick might have to you know, owe me a favor just because we've been friends for so long. We'll see. Also, your podcast episodes on Newton and Einstein were amazing because I'm a science kind of guy. You I'm guys... so glad people liked those episodes so much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you guys should do no... Uh... <laughs> Let me read that again. <laughs> do no more. <laughs> do no more. Stop uh, your head. <laughs> you guys should do more on the history of science, even the basic sciences, uh, math and engineering of ancient Egypt, ooh, Greece, Rome, Aztecs, and so on. As writes our friend Clayton. Excellent suggestions, guys. Thank you. Gracias. We love our listeners. We really do. Thank you for the great feedback. That's awesome. We have one more, though, that we want to share. We have a voicemail via Skype that we wanted to share. Skippity Skype. We're going to play that now. Hi, guys. Jacob again. Uh, Just listening to Morrison Files. And actually, my dad's currently employed at Offord Air Force Base. He's a civilian firefighter, and that's pretty good job there. Also, I just also listened to the Golden Gate Bridge episode. Jesus, Sarah. You really know how to make a person sad. That's horrible, the statistics brought up. Especially that three-year-old kid. God. But also, if you guys feel like I'm being a little bit creepy, tell me to stop calling. All right. You guys have a wonderful day. Take care. Well, you know what, folks? It looks like uh, that's all for the mailbag this week. 
But please keep that feedback coming. And Sarah, how might our listeners share more feedback with us? Do tell. Sidewalk chalk. That's what I've been doing for years. So we now have sidewalk chalk, um, selfies with tattoos. Yep. Westerosi Raven. Yep. Smoke signals. We did smoke signals Carrier before. Pigeon. Carrier pigeon. Uh, just shouting it really loudly from your front porch. Oh, strings and, and cans. You yep. know what I realize? Mm-hmm. If there's any aliens who are actually buzzing around out there, mm-hmm. if they're within about five light years of Earth, they're just listening to our first episode. I was going to yeah. say, yeah. And pretty soon we'll reach Alpha Centauri. No, that'll, that'll, that'll be a while longer. Yeah. Be another five years or so. No, it's going to be longer than that. Okay. Anyway, so if you guys actually do want to contact us and um, let us know how long it will be until we reach Alpha Centauri, you can do so by going to nerdonomy.com and clicking that talk to us button and shooting us an email. We'll go to all of our inboxes. You can also hit us up on social media. If you search for Nerdonomy on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we will be there. I promise you that. Um, And while you're kicking around on our website, if you are feeling like you're a little chilly and in need of some covering, why don't you go to our merch page and buy a t-shirt? We'd love it. Uh, but the most important thing that you can do for us is to spread the word of nerd. Tell all your friends all about us uh, and give us a review on iTunes or whatever your podcast method of choice is. Um, and just really get the word out because we love doing this show and we yeah. want to keep doing it. Um, for the record, we're not like we're not censoring the negative feedback because we just haven't gotten any in a long time. Like people wonder, like, was that a concern? No, I don't think it is. But if anyone's ever wondering, you only you guys only read the positive feedback. It's because we get ninety five percent positive feedback. Mm-hmm. So continue to add to that. Yeah, it's mostly because of Sarah. Sarah came on the show. And if you do have feedback. something bad to say, oh, thanks. Shove off. Um, Which is funny because I've gotten most of the negative feedback on Nerds on Film. So. Oh, yeah. interesting yeah. dichotomy. Interesting balance there, isn't it? Uh, and also for the record, uh, Brian is actually right. Alpha Centauri is only about four and a half light years away. So. Thank you. I thought it was ten. I was. I was. It's I was, only the I'm next sorry, solar Brian. system, Eric. It's not that far away. Well, now our <laughs> listeners have nothing to write to us about. God Thank you. damn it! I'm just gonna quit things. <laughs> <laughs> the Alpha Centauri is. me. <laughs> 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 I just love that. I love that voice. Dare not on me. <laughs> As if they're like Terrence and Philip. <laughs> Listen, buddy. <laughs> well, folks, we have to get out of here because clearly we're having way too much fun. Yep. So uh, it is that time. And until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Adios. Later. It's time for breakfast! Oh man, I don't wanna. I don't wanna either. Introducing Jacobites for when you're feeling rebellious. Jacobites? Oh, that's awesome! Yeah! Those marshmallows, they look like the seal of the House of Stewart. That's right, kids. There's a guaranteed prize in every box. I found a broadsword! I got mild financial support from the French! That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Jacobites. Part of a rebellious, balanced breakfast. I found a picture of the Pope! Yay! 